Hello, how are you? Thank you for coming. I'm Helen Perry and this is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast, a show for creatives who are marketing their work online. This time, we're welcoming back our friend, the brand strategist, super pro content creator and educator, world traveller and work from anywhere advocate, Phil Pallon. We're talking about AI and online courses. Are they In my business, I think courses are dead. And I think a better solution is a membership. I decided to go a little deeper and look at the analytics of my courses, which have been my, you know, my pride, my pride and joy. And only 20% of people have actually completed my courses start to finish. I started to do a bit of research on this. And the industry average is less than 10% uh, course completion. And then I thought about my own experience And guess how many courses that I've purchased that I haven't finished? A lot of them. Okay, so even as an online course seller, I kind of agree with Phil on this. The old model of build an evergreen self-paced course and stick it up on your website. Well, it turns out that doesn't work very well for people. I think it is a bit dead, but all online learning? No, there's space for that. It's about how you do it. Keep listening to find out what I mean. Before that, Phil and I talk about AI, artificial intelligence and how to get started using it as a small business that creates content for words and pictures. Are you doing it already? It can be really great and creative. It can. Phil and I agree on loads of things, but our lives are so very different. He's a nomadic world traveler, packing up his ring light and taking his laptop to speaking gigs all over the world. I began by asking him how many countries he's visited this year. Oh my gosh, I don't, I can't count that quickly. Although, <laughs> I do keep track of them on my website, philpallon.co slash travel. So someone else could count them. I could pull it up here and count them. But it's a good, you know what, Helen? It's a good number. What's your rough feel for it? Oh, maybe 20. Maybe that's 20. A good, that's a maybe good number. Maybe 15. Ha- maybe it's not that many because I'm not one of those travelers that just ticks places off, um, you know, to have a... a to, to, to have been there. For me, a lot of times when I'm traveling and I'm working remotely, I have to remind people frequently that I'm not on vacation, not on vacation, despite what you see on Instagram. Drinking cocktail on a Monday at the pool. Um, <laughs> no, that's not. So for me, I return to a lot of places that I enjoy being. So I love Medellin, Colombia. I love Stockholm, Sweden. I go to London all the time. Uh, I was just in LA uh, yesterday. You know, so I... I try to go to the places because since I've traveled a lot, I have friends in these places and it's, and, and sometimes projects and it's fun. It's fun to be there. So maybe 15 countries, if I had to estimate. Do you still feel that in real life, can I, I mean, so much of what you do is on, on the internet. Before mm-hmm. I pressed record on this conversation, you were talking about going to LA to host for Adobe, who you work yeah. with. Um, and I was kind of like, wow, okay, so Adobe are still like doing the in real life thing. They're still putting people on planes. And yeah. is that, that's, it's still super valuable. So to be, this is- to be in the room. Yeah, this is a really interesting point that you raise, and it's actually connected to AI in my experience. So speaking, which is something I've done um, since a few years into launching my business, I was given an opportunity from a a friend who is still dear to me um, 
to speak at a, at a conference for interior designers. After she met me, pretty much on the street, she said, hey, I trust you to get up on stage and teach my designers about social media. We need a young whiz kid, and I think you can do that. And I thought, oh my God, okay. So that was terrifying, but also exciting. And I realized very quickly, speaking at engagements in the US from Canada, so that was still kind of exotic, um, living in the US, speaking, I thought, you know, um, this is a really great way to not only get better at presenting. Initially, I thought I wanted to be a TV host, but speaking on stage and teaching people, you know, solopreneurs and entrepreneurs about something they were really excited to learn just felt good. It meant that some of those people in the audience might hire me and help me grow my business and my client list. And that all happened. And then it expanded internationally. And then it all went away in 2020. Now, um, projects, personal branding projects is the majority of what keeps me busy in terms of client work. Those increased in the pandemic. People were at home. They were, we were all experiencing, you know, big life changes. And people thought to themselves, wait a second, do I really like my job? Do I really like what I'm doing right now? I kind of don't. So I think I'm going to call Phil and I'm going to finally pursue this side hustle, this thing I've had in my mind, and I'm actually going to turn this into a business. So we were very busy and I'm very grateful for that, you know, um, but speaking disappeared. So a, a few things, I started to focus more on uh, creating video content, which to me felt like the equivalent of standing on stage and speaking. I, I had recorded a screen record for a client and the client had said, Phil, you're really good at showing me the back end of the website enthusiastically. You should probably post videos, social media content about this. I thought, ooh, that was just the push I needed, the nudge rather. And so uh, started posting consistently on YouTube, had brands reach out once I hit around 5,000 followers or, or subscribers on YouTube. Adobe was one of those brands that reached out to me on Instagram and said, we'd love to pay you to post our product, Adobe Spark at the time, which is now Adobe Express. Um, I had not used it, but I thought, oh my God, it's Adobe. That's literally like Jesus Christ, you know, in our industry. So, um, I put lots of work into it. I really enjoyed the process. They invited me to join their ambassador program, which had around 30 ambassadors at the time. Now there's over 200. Um, and all of that comes full circle in that um, I am now speaking more and more about AI, about creativity and you know digital entrepreneurship. I guess how I do that is unique. It's not unique to me because I've been doing it for a while. Way pre-pandemic, I've been traveling and working remotely. Um, but in the last three months, I've had more speaking engagement requests than, and, and, and actually, you'll appreciate this, more lucrative speaking engagement requests than I've had in a decade, all related to understanding AI specifically from the vantage point of small business. And that is keeping me very busy and I'm loving it. There is such an appetite for it. Um, I speak uh, to my community about that too. And I was extremely surprised by the instant interest and uptake. Let's talk examples, Phil. Can you tell me a few ways you've used AI in your business in the past, I don't know, week, month, whatever? How are you using it day to day? Yeah, great question. And I ask that question to pretty much anyone I meet, by the way, you're on my list to ask that question. Um, I'm working on a project where I'm gathering these kinds of stories. So let me let me give you, uh, maybe let me give you two examples, because uh, I know you're like me and you love practical advice for your audience. So 
The first one, um, I had to train. I was resistant to it at the beginning because I didn't understand it. And I'm busy. So I don't, I honestly nowadays don't have a lot of time to learn new things unless it's a hobby, unless it's like something I can read on an airplane. And this was not that, you know, without Wi-Fi. So I had to train myself to get over the initial ick of it, an initial fear that, oh my God, is this going to replace copywriting and, and branding, brand positioning? You know, I typed in some questions um, and realized, wow, this is really good advice. This might put me out of a job. Um, but, what I, what I, but then I got over that and I thought, actually, this is really interesting. But the way that I trained my brain to start using it was I installed web ChatGPT, which is a free Google Chrome plugin, and it's my favorite plugin. There are many. Um, what it does is it it does a lot of things. It'll give you quick access to not just ChatGPT, but the others, Claude, Bard, uh, Bing Chat, etc. But the best thing that it does is connects your ChatGPT results to the web, and it displays in a Google search on the right-hand side, the same search that you put into Google. So my mind at the time was not trained to go to ChatGPT to find answers. It was trained to go to Google for answers, right? You too, all of us. And so this was incredibly valuable because I could continue in my comfort zone initially of going to Google to get answers on something but as I typed or as I clicked enter and, and see the results uh, from Google, I can also see the results from ChatGPT. And I have to tell you, Helen, there were moments where the Google results were garbage. First four or five results are all sponsored nonsense. And then I look over at ChatGPT, for example, I was trying to delete my storage on, um, on an app. Um, um, that I, you know, we were using for a video project, didn't need it anymore, and I couldn't delete my account until I delete the storage. I was like, what does this all mean? I type it into ChatGPT, or I type it into Google. Sponsored, 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 not what I was looking for. And then I look over the right-hand side. Phil, here are the steps to delete your archival storage from your account. What? Step one, step two, step three, step four, and here are three other summarized links that are gonna be useful for you. Blew my mind. And so... And so that has trained me to get over my initial ick or fear of ChatGPT. And the truth is, you know, the more you use it, the more comfortable you get writing and experimenting with uh, prompts. I go to ChatGPT now more than I go to Google. Yeah, uh, my, my experience was similar. I was quite resistant and a little bit like I haven't got time for this at the beginning. And then I sort of woke up one morning in a state of mortal fear, like, mm, I'm not sure anybody's going to need what I do anymore because of yeah. this this tool that's 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 actually really good. And I was like, well, okay, so I better acquaint myself with the enemy. And then fast realised it's actually really quite easy to get to grips with, and there are. Uh, ton of things it can help me with. Uh, for example, I use it very often to do things I hate, like it will transcribe my podcast scripts and make them into show notes, which is a really tedious job, but it does it sort of instantly. Mm -hmm to just copy check something to make sure it's clear, to make sure it couldn't be written in a more persuasive way. And yes. I have 
more which is a great one by the way because we could all we could all be clearer you know you know and that's half of the job of content is to at least be easy to understand and um now i use it more and more for things like how to do this how to do that and i it was great on my son's homework the other night when we were trying to understand some biology and it just really i said can you explain this process as if you were talking to a 13 year old and it just came up with this fantastic analogy for um i can't differentiation of cells or something it's so good like you say if i'd have put that into google i'd have got a variety of quite shit results but it yeah. just gave me exactly what i asked for rather than sort of casting around for something that was vaguely like what i wanted to know chat gpt gave me the right answer in the right way that i was looking for without having to yeah. wade through adverts and things you know it's, it, i mean i would really if all i can do is urge people to get over themselves and have a go at it i think you'll quickly find it's it's got its uses for you well right and yeah, exactly. And part of why you are so successful in that in that search is that you've reached a level of comfort and confidence in your ability to ask the right question to get the right result. And that involves training yourself. I'm still, by the way, I don't claim to be an expert in any of this, even if I'm speaking on it and I'm approaching it from the standpoint of here's how beginners can get started. Um, I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself as someone who's curious and I'm sharing what I learn, you know, <clears throat> as I, each day I learn something new about it. Yeah, likewise. And I don't always get the most, I don't always get the most amazing results. What What is your like, I don't know, first few steps that you tell people to take when they are opening this new app or a new interface and like, okay, do something brilliant for me. How do you get it to start working for you? The more you input, the better the output. So I strongly recommend thinking right now about three writing samples that you can actually input into ChatGPT to train it to write like you. Now that is obviously not something you need to do if you're simply looking for an analogy on homework you know, explain to a 13 year old, you probably don't need to train it to write a certain way, but you certainly need to train it to write a certain way if you want it writing blog posts, want it writing social media captions. So before you say, write a social media caption for my post about, go through a few exercises where you actually feed it input. So go to a blog post that's at least, I don't know, let's say 500 words. I've heard before people say your writing sample should be at least a thousand words. Um, I think 15,000 is the limit. I think I haven't tested it to the limit, but you want to think of like three unique ways where you've captured your brand voice. Let's, let me give you those. So a blog post is a, is a simple one. A social media caption is another good one. Maybe a longer one where you elaborate on how you feel right now about something. A third one I bet you didn't think about, and I'm not going to say podcast because that's obvious, a client call that you've had recently where you've hit record. Go through and grab the portions where you are speaking to your client. I, for one, love client work because it keeps me in the trenches so that I can educate better, right? That's why I will do client work for as long as I do this, which is hopefully a long time. Because when I'm speaking to a client, what I'm giving in terms of advice on the spot to someone who needs it, always, almost always turns you know, into social media content from that from that exchange. So those are your three writing samples. 
go to ChatGPT and say, hey, before I ask you a question, I want you to get comfortable writing in my brand voice. I'm going to provide a few writing samples. The first writing sample is a blog post and I'm going to paste it below. Do you, before I paste it, do you understand? And ChatGPT will tell you if it understands or if it needs clarification. So that's another thing I've had to learn. Communicate with AI, make sure that it understands before you pile on all this information. Think of it as a conversation like we're having right now. Yeah, it's called chat for a reason. Um, like, and I was like jumping up and down in my seat then because the thing I think that people misunderstand or when they get really disappointed with the results and they're like, ha, 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 chat GPT is rubbish. Look at this blog post it wrote for me. It's because you've, you've, expected it to have an element of mind reading in there and it and it really really doesn't if you don't tell it exactly what you want it will kind of like I guess search the internet and come up with something fairly generic based on what is most likely to be what you're looking for which is where you'll get unlock really... the potential of... you've got to describe describe what you yeah. want don't leave anything out mm -hmm. or if there are words like I, I'm joking when I say unlock the potential, but I see that all the time when I get it back, if I haven't trained it. And so I'll actually say, I like that result or I like what you wrote, but I don't like the words unlock and potential. So do it again, but remove these buzzwords, for example. Again, it's just constant communication as if you were talking to a friend or an assistant. Yeah, push back if you're not happy. Push back and tell it why. It's like, why have you used all this? Sometimes it gives me like everything with a capital letter at the beginning, or it, it can be it, it can be a, an exaggerated kind of. It, 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 the results can be quite flowery or cheesy, or if you and they're and you're just like, do you know what, ChatGPT? Can we make this way more conversational? Can you just yeah. take take the language down a level? I need this to be more chilled. I'm I'm writing this as if it's for a friend or or not or like this is my bank manager. This needs to be a serious piece of writing, whatever it might be. You've got to give it as much of an idea of what you want as possible. So I mean, so it's not like a no effort thing, is it? There's like this work that goes into it. Well, yeah, exactly. It's you've got to put a little bit of time, but but you'll hear from people like me and people like you, Helen. It's like it's working for us and it's been worth the investment of time. So it's likely worth yours. You just need to make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that give you tangible advice. There's nothing worse right now than people who are leaning on fear tactics. Um, related to AI. So even I have to be super careful when I go to post something about AI, I always take extra time to give practical advice instead of just saying, you know, ooh, um, ChatGPT is amazing, go try it. Any Anytime I talk about AI, I give an example prompt that someone could literally type and paste because I get how overwhelming this is. Don't even bother going to Twitter or X because all you'll hear is ChatGPT is old news, you know. Um, ChatGPT, you know. Oh my God! Is there um, something else? Is there something new? <laughs> yeah, I you, you know. There's, there's all like, I guess kinds every of day. nonsense on there, like you know, 
make more money and you won't believe what ChatGPT 4.0 can do now. And it just received its biggest update. And like all of this like stressful content. And I try to be the antithesis of that. I also love your content. I love how you're talking about it. Um, uh, you I mean, and I, I think, think are two peas in a pod. Yeah, we're coming from the same place. I know who I work with and they are not people who generally want to be at the ultra cutting edge of everything that's going on which is kind of like those voices in twitter they're like i am so smart i am so across what's happening today and my people don't need to be up to the minute engaged with what's going on with ai but if i can use it in my business and i'm like i'm comfortable with creating content i'm a comfortable writer if i can find it really helpful then you can too and i think all of us the very least we can do is acquaint ourselves with it because you're probably going to need to talk to your clients you're going to need to understand how people are using it, how other entrepreneurs might be using it. I mean, Phil, what would you say to somebody who is in a place of fear? A copywriter would be a classic example of somebody who's thinking, this is going to take my job. How would you talk to them about it? There was a study done a few months ago by Goldman Sachs here in the US um, that said, so even though this is US specific, I still think it applies. It, it kind of represents what's happening in the world right now. Um, this study determined that roughly, uh, I think it was 67% of jobs in the workforce will be complemented by AI. No, maybe it was 63% complemented, 7% replaced, 30% unaffected. Those are the numbers. And I thought that was delightful. 7% of jobs should be replaced by technology. Because in some respect, if we, if, if we know what those jobs are, they're administrative, they're entry level, they're junior, they're data-based, a computer is better and faster at doing those jobs. So yeah, might it be a little scary for your job to be replaced by AI? Yes. Is that a healthy pressure? Should you be focused as a human on iterating and doing the human type work? Absolutely. So it's interesting. I'll tell a quick anecdote. My business partner, Lauren, was resistant. She's even busier than I am. Um, and she thought, oh, my God, I mean, what am I going to be needed for? She's, she does all of our copywriting and such. Now she is completely obsessed with chat. She just calls him chat, him, chat. And, and um, she's so relieved because there's actually less pressure on us to hire, you know, a junior copywriter or, you know, she's, she's, she's able to now use chat to focus more in her role on the human element of this, which is the input, the ideation, the brainstorming. Um, and she's just totally in love with it. I'm like, I listened to her talk about it when she wasn't even using it a month ago. She's a little late to the party and I reminded her of that and now she completely depends on it and that's a, a cool little evolution. I would also say much of the dialogue around AI is dominated by text generation and input. And actually for me, my first aha moment was related to uh, generative AI for images. Yeah, let's get into that because that is not a way I am using AI. I have not tried to use it for an image or a graphic. Um, what kind of tools are you using for that? I know that you can use Canva for AI related imagery. Um, I guess you're using Adobe. Um, what are you having it do? 
Yeah, okay, so yeah, this this was something I started to dabble with. So I'm a brand strategist, I create visuals for clients, uh, visual branding, so, and that's not just, for example, brand photography. We also have to think about B-level photos, which I might describe as uh, blog post images, uh, social media content. You go and do a brand photo shoot, you get 12 amazing selects. We're not just going to go post those on Instagram right away. It's going to be through them pretty fast. So you, you know, you need to be able to Traditionally, it was source stock photos that felt on brand, right? You could go to, I would go to Adobe Stock, or you could go to Unsplash if you want free, you know, uh, royalty-free images. Um, what's so cool now is you can actually, instead of just sourcing images, you can create them. Um, and this is what has blown my mind. The first instance of this of generative technology for me that made a huge difference in my business, I had a client that loved her photos from her photo shoot and um, loved everything except for the red brick that was photographed in the background. This was the day that generative fill was launched in Photoshop. And I'm not a Photoshop whiz. I know how to do the basics to do my job. I'm self-taught since I started this business. And I hopped in there, selected the brick background around her, and clicked generative fill. This is in Photoshop beta at the time. I had to download a separate app, but all my friends were talking about it on social media, so I had to try it. And I wrote in the prompt, change this brick to beautiful, or you know, to white, clicked generate, and boom. It looked realistic, it was powerful, and most importantly, it saved her money. That image is now on the homepage of her website. It's Carrie Thiels is her name. Um, and so that was this like, aha moment for me. I was like, wow, that just saved my client a lot of money and it was really fun to generate in less than five minutes. These things, Helen, that would have taken literally hours, removing an outlet in a photo or changing you know, a shirt, um, these types of things, you're now starting to notice, I think in Canva is called Magic Kit. Um, in, I, I obviously work in Adobe Tools. Um, in Adobe's suite of tools, it's called Adobe Firefly. And so I would recommend to someone who's just wanting to dabble and get started and try for free, um, go to Adobe Firefly, and they've got a whole suite of tools that are free. One is called Generative Fill, so you can actually you know, fill in a space in a photo with something that doesn't exist. Let's say it's a blue sky, you can add a bird. Um, you know, what else? There's a, a, a technology called text-to-image, so you can enter a prompt. Let's say we're writing a blog post about productivity. Instead of having to go source a photo or hire a photographer to take a picture of your office, go to Adobe Firefly, try text-to-image, which you can actually do directly in Adobe Express. You would just type minimalist office setup, and that will not, not, not source a photo, it will actually create one for you that's totally unique to you. And that just blows my mind from a creativity standpoint. And they are, the results are just absolutely realistic as the world, I suppose. It's photograph quality. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, when you're talking about it that way and how I feel about using um, text-based AI is it's part of my creative process. It's not mm-hmm. lacking in creativity, the, you know, working with it and seeing how it can actually elevate your work, allow you to get more done. Um, like you say, I mean, if that if your, your client isn't like, oh, no, I don't. She loves her brand photo now. Like she, ha- how many times have we got photos back or something? And we're like, oh, it's just not quite right, or I didn't realize that was in the background, or and that's wasted money, you know. When you, yeah. you're like, I can't really use it because I don't, I don't love it. It's not quite right. Um, but I would certainly urge people to see it as part of a creative process um, and not be afraid of getting involved. And I am going to have a go with some visual stuff off the back of this conversation. See how I can get on with it. Yeah, that's a fun one. That's that's a really fun one. The visuals are almost more more of an instant gratification than text per se. So if you've already mastered text, which it sounds like you have, I think you're going to have fun with image creation. And just to your point a second ago, it's completely changed our workflow. Now I know my photographers when I'm, you know, hiring them for a brand photo shoot, they're less concerned about outlets and people in the background, we can now remove those with generative fill. And it's really amazing. I mean, of course, these tools can be used and abused. um, And we don't want that. But instead, they can augment what it is we're trying to capture. And now with, you know, brand photography hasn't disappeared. If anything, it's more important now because we can't generate that with AI. So we need to capture that human element to achieve consistency between how you portray yourself online with you know consistency with how you show up in real life. But we just we have this technology available to us to experiment with. Um, one one more comment on that. Uh, I'm a little nervous by mid-journey and some of these earlier technologies because um, there's some lawsuits. Um, there's they've they've been sued based on. Um, the technology sourcing images that they don't have permission to use. So okay. that is why I advocate for using not just right. not because Adobe pays me, but because um, they've actually built their technology in house. And so one one scary element of AI right now is that it's sourcing all these things that it doesn't necessarily have explicit permission to source. With visuals, that becomes a problem because mm-hmm. artists that have spent their careers and their efforts to create art, all of a sudden AI is sourcing their photos that you know they haven't given permission to do. So AI, uh, Adobe has built the technology for attribution um, and they have something called the Content Authenticity Initiative that even non-Adobe brands that I work with, when I ask them on their ethics before I start to promote them, they, you know, they'll, they'll say, hey, we're a part of the Content Authenticity Initiative. I just mentioned that because I think that's important once we start to dabble with visuals. It's important yeah, that yeah. the technology you're using is actually done responsibly. So I recommend to people, check out the Content Authenticity Initiative. I work with brands like Synthesia. You know, there's over 2,000 brands, I think, now that are a part of that. And that's my general kind of filter for the brands that I know are, are using AI ethically. Okay, that's cool. Thank you, Phil, for that. Because I know um, I have lots of artists and creatives in my community who have concerns about their work being, yes, I guess, hoovered up by um, AI and uh, repurposed. And I was just reading before we came on, actually, that Kira Knightley is... Uh, talking about 
copywriting her face because mm-hmm. uh, performers, you know, will get, why do we actually need to pay Kira Knightley her fee for this movie when we could generate based on her past performances? And the base, it, it's I mean, the basis you know, of the writer strike. Now that's why Hollywood has been striking for so many months, um, yeah. understandably. Because there needs to be, and uh, you know, uh, like you know, this stuff is beyond my sphere of influence. But there needs to be uh, boundaries, um, uh, laws, and controls, and ethics that protect people from, I guess, the the negative side of AI that we hear so much about. Exactly. Yeah. So when when those boundaries exist. Um... I'm always keen to mention them and to abide by them because I like to use these tools from a place of ethics as well. It's really important to me. Right, Phil, Philip. Um, I want to oh, talk that to you. Like I'm getting in trouble. I'm excited. Yeah, poss- I mean, possibly. Um, so you uh, put a reel out there that, that got my attention. And in it, you said that online courses, I'm paraphrasing, online courses are dead. That's Can not you- even paraphrased. I did say that. Was that was it. That get was your what I got attention. It. Yeah, well, it's, it's seared into my mind, obviously. Uh, can you tell me exactly what you mean by that statement? Online yes. courses are dead. That's exactly what I said, not even paraphrase, first sentence of the reel, because I was really just trying to get your attention and the attention of others. So I've been thinking a lot about, um, about courses. Uh, I launched three in early 2020. It was actually my pandemic project. Instead of traveling on airplanes, I sat in my Mexico City Airbnb and cranked out three courses in three months. It was a lot of work, a lot of fun, rewarding because I've had these for years to sell. But I'm at a point now, a, a difficult point where I've sold, you know, I've launched the courses, probably didn't think enough in the early days about how that content would become stale. Uh, did try to make my courses so about content strategy, email, marketing, and Instagram. Um, three years, right, have passed and the, the, every course needs updating. But I'm at the point now where putting in the time and effort to update the courses probably won't be worth the effort in terms of, you know, what I'll sell. So, so with, with it, I, I decided to go a little deeper and look at the analytics of my courses, which have been my, you know, my pride, my pride and joy. And only 20% of people have actually completed my courses start to finish. And I started to do a bit of research on this. Um, and the industry standard or the average industry average is less than 10% uh, course completion. Yeah. And I thought about uh, my own experience and guess how many courses that I've purchased that I haven't finished? A lot of them. <sighs> but yet, Helen, the courses and the programs that I've purchased that have a calendar requirement or a certain thing in my calendar that says show up at this time for this live training I never miss those, especially if I've invested good money into a program. So I guess, I guess the reel has a little asterisk on it. Um, and the asterisk is, you know, it, it, in my business, I think courses are dead. And I think a better solution is a membership. Now, full disclosure, that reel was sponsored. And I worked with a platform called Uscreen, which is a video membership 
website, um, they came to me with this idea, but it's an idea that I, I agree with. I think courses as we know them um, are probably not the best business model. A membership is a little more interesting because, you know, because it feels like a win-win. So a membership versus a course means that people are paying monthly or they're paying yearly. And from a business owner standpoint, that's income spaced out, potential to grow and scale a little more. And as the creator, you're also incentivized to keep that content updated. So that, that was my dramatic yeah. reel. It was my realization that my courses are broken. Courses in my business are dead, so I need to reinvent the way in which people can learn from me in a way that's a win-win for the user and for the creator. Cool. And the good news is that we can continue to be friends because I agree yes. with you entirely. And uh, at least I had research to back it up, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say your twenty percent completion rate. It, I, when you said it, I was like, that's high for like yes. for what I would call an evergreen course, the kind of course yes. that you that you build and it's got all of your knowledge in it, and you put it on your website, and it's going to be there making money for me while I sleep. Blah blah blah. That was the big, you know, that was the golden egg of the, uh, you know, of digital businesses a few years ago. Um, and all of us will have bought courses like that that we have not completed. Um, people have done my courses and not completed them, and that may, I, I feel shit about that. I don't want anybody to buy from me and not finish the work. Over the last few years, because my business is teaching online, I, especially as we increasingly, as the pandemic is further and further behind us, I would say that what I am doing most often is scheduling in some time for people who would like to focus on something for a few weeks or for an hour. And, you know, I'm creating that space and I'm there for them to help with backup, to answer questions, to share knowledge. But really, in terms of working through vast amounts of online material that will be able to you know that promises to teach you everything you need to know about a certain subject people just aren't doing it man they are not they are not absorbing all that information so you spending months creating this thing is essentially a waste of everybody's time yeah it's hard to prioritize that when we all have a lot of items on our to-do list so i would say you know and what does course even mean, right? And that's, I think, in my my dramatic claim, I'm making the assumption that we all have the same or a similar definition of course. But I would tell people if if that you know business model is exciting for you, or if it's if it's returned for you, nowadays you really need some element of accountability, self-paced. I I, I think the days of that are gone because we're all too busy. Right, I think that's also you. You agree with that. So, if you've got a course, consider con, you know consider converting it into a program that in, includes access to you. It could be one monthly drop in or office hour. It doesn't even need to be something that you need to prepare for. But I think we need to we we as personal brands is the majority of what I work with, or individuals or small businesses. We need to think about um, access as a selling point and potentially an opportunity to increase the price of whatever it is you're selling so it's worth your while. Yeah, it's a big thing. I, you know, when I see people on, who work with me make progress, it will be probably most likely just because I've answered one of their questions. Something yes. they've been wondering, you know, they've been wondering, should I do this or should I do that? Or, or and, and I'll just go, no, 
you you know do that and that will be like okay wow I can move forward all of a sudden so just that opportunity to have somebody that you can check in with an expert or a colleague or somebody you're working alongside that like you say that is where the real value is also wanted to share an insight I've just finished teaching a three-week program on email marketing and it, it, which I first designed during the pandemic. It's my most successful course and uh, my most effective, I would say, but I'm reflecting even now after that most recent three weeks that I'm still trying to offer too much for people in yeah. that three weeks. It's more than they can, they can take on. Uh, you can feel like you have to over deliver. And a really interesting insight I read about memberships recently is the reason people give up memberships is because they feel there's so much in it they're not able to access. So it's, 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 it's almost like, if you give people too much, you make them feel like they're not getting value for money out of it because they just can't make use of everything you're giving them. Genius. I mean, I, and, and it's just so, it's the opposite of what we would, we would assume someone would cancel for. And I think that's such an important reminder. I'm thinking, so I haven't launched a membership yet, but it is on my radar, I'd say, for maybe the next quarter or two. Um, and for me, it would be a video membership, which is why I mentioned um, Uscreen. So I love creating video content. I guess the scary part for me was it never ends. So as soon as you start it, it never ends. <laughs> that's the thing. That's my, I'm not, I can't do, I, I've, I've, got like a, I've got a really low key membership. But oh my God. I was challenged by Uscreen. They said, well, Phil, your YouTube videos don't end. And I was like, touche, I haven't missed posting in a week, although I'm one day late today because it's been a little wacky. Um, I haven't missed posting on YouTube because that's a commitment I've made. Um, and so that I thought, well, that's actually right. So I think the, the, the moment here is take inventory of where creating is easiest for you. It could be written, it could be video in my case. Um, and also, I mean, your content is just so great, so focused on don't get hung up on the production and the, the, the nonsense, just put it out there, you know? Um, that's gonna be truer than ever before. We look at platforms like TikTok, which totally honors message over, over means and, and, and production value, you know? And I think people need to be really inspired by that. I think your, your message is more important now than ever um, as we're inundated, not only with content, but items on our to-do list. And it's very hard to prioritize moving these projects forward. So you have to make it easy for yourself. Um, that's really, I've, that's, you've forced me to call myself out a little bit because I've not started a membership because, um, even though people have asked me for it, people that I, you know, I've worked with and I've always thought, oh my God, that's a commitment, you know, you know, oh, but you're right. I send an, I send a weekly email out every single week and I've done it since 2019. I know I I get it. And I read every word of it, uh, you know, so I, so I can clearly can show up for 50 uh, 52 weeks a year I can do it but I've I think if you're going to do something it needs like what's the compelling reason if you if you've got a membership on your mind or a course for that matter like what's the compelling reason for it to exist in that form like why does it need to be a membership so what would your video membership be about Phil would it be about supporting people to be consistent in delivering their video content is that how you would see that would be the role of it I'm still thinking about it um because I want to be 
absolutely lit up and excited about it. And also I'm aware of, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a generalist um, in a way that really brings me joy. You know, I can do a uh, an event later today speaking about email marketing and then I can talk the next day about Pinterest and then I can talk the next day obviously about building a brand. It's what I've done for almost 400 clients in a decade. So I talk about a lot of things and I know people, tr it's similar to you actually, people trust my advice um, on a variety of things. But I also, I know it needs to be specific enough that it's compelling for someone to want to buy into it, not too general and not too overwhelming that someone's going to cancel. So I don't know that I've landed 100% on that. I think AI is going to play a really important role in this. So I'm... I'm I think it has to in all... Of any kind of content online that you have to acknowledge that like you're talking about your your courses that exist you know around yeah. instagram or you know you, you kind of have to go back through them and think how how has ai changed the game on this that's now, exactly you know? what i think my membership i think that's at least how it's going to start i'm going to take my three course material update it and incorporate ai and make it more of a, a community and here's here's the difference between the course and the membership is I only want to teach the material in a way that's conducive for how I would consume it. Two ways, a live call, 55 minutes, once a month. If people can join live on whatever time zone I'm on, great. If not, watch the replay. So you have two ways to consume the content. Either show up on a calendar invite and be there. And, and also for me, if I was to do that once a month or once every other month, then I'm accountable to keep that content updated. Even if I update 10 to 20% of it, it's still updated instead of being this big crater on my head that hasn't been updated in three years, right? So that's way number one. Way number two would be, I wanna take that same 55 minutes of material and chop it up into five minute vertical videos that people can watch on an app on their phone. Commuting, well maybe not commuting if you're driving in the passenger seat, but like, it needs to be snackable. It needs to be snackable. Those are the two ways that I consume content. Either gotta show up on my calendar or it's gotta be five minutes or less and I can exactly watch it on my phone. So that's, I, I feel really compelled as I'm in this zone of creation or reinvention, those are the two ways that I wanna offer the content I'm gonna share. I'm, I'm, we're, good... it's like we're, we're like brainstorming right now and letting your listeners yeah. in on it. I really love that. But it's, uh, it's such a good question to ask yourself. I very often ask it to my students. It's like, how do you receive what you get? Like, what email have you opened today and read? And what did you hover on for a bit longer on Instagram? You know, this is what we should be doing more of. Like, what kind of consumer of content are you? So in conclusion, online learning is not dead, but sort of the online course, the self-paced self online course rethink your rethink your plans yeah amen oh yeah if anything online learning is going to increase i think with ai with accessibility and democratization of information i think everything's going to be rooted online you know even look at traditional schools are are since the pandemic they are still almost more focused on teaching in a in a virtual environment than a physical so that it's changed everything, but you're, you're completely right. We just need to rethink the way that we can ensure someone is going to get value from us as the creator. Yeah. Um, 
that this is great. I'm so I'm when I was planning this uh, conversation, I thought, oh my god, is this actually two podcasts? Um, is it going to sound like it needs like a ad break down the middle? But really, the two things are very connected, actually. And very. It, yeah, and that's so interesting. It flowed. Phil, thank you so much. I feel like you'll be back another time. Um, and take care of yourself and have some. I don't know. Make sure you get some sleep with all that flying that you do. I appreciate it. I always love catching up with you and I love consuming your emails. So it's fun to actually get to chat and catch up in this way. And I appreciate that opportunity. Oh, big thank you always to Phil for his company. He's an unstoppable force of content. I hope we've persuaded skeptics to dip into AI. It helps me with the most boring of tasks and can be part of the creative process. Trust me. I'm going to be running a one-off get started with chat GPT session before Christmas. If that's something you're interested in, then get my emails. I'm going to pop a link into the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, then the greatest compliment you can give us is to share it with your friends. Pop it on an email or in a WhatsApp or on your social media. It helps new people to find the show. Thank you for every listen. We'll be back soon. Bye.